This just in, scientists discover that Canadian bacon is actually ordinary ham. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer, TGIF indeed. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, if our luck holds up. And of course, we stay on the good side of bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? I'm doing very, very, very well. A little wet up here in the Pacific Northwest. We are getting close to breaking a record of rainfall, which is kind of uh, unusual. Oh, nope. No, it's not. Seattle. Okay, there you go. Go figure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fill those reservoirs. And there are places all over the country that have not had enough snow. They are Mm -hmm. not getting enough to fill their reservoirs. Mm -hmm. So I guess everybody's going to be looking to Seattle for water this summer. I guess. But, I mean, we don't have as much snow either. We're kind of missing that, too. But regardless, you know, we've got a big weekend in front of us to look forward to. I know you guys are. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's in Miami, across the, Alligator it's the Alley. big game. That's basically oh, in your I'm backyard. Sorry. That's your backyard. I do, I do not mean Super Bowl 54. I mean the, the big, big game. game. <laughs> Are you guys going to go? Come on. <laughs> no, I don't have five or $6,000 for a oh. ticket with two teams playing about either which I don't care a damn, you know, it's look, Andy Reed deserves it. He's one of the sure. real gentlemen of the NFL. Mm-hmm. He's been close once coached the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. They lost that Super Bowl. Here he has another chance. I hope it works out for him. I will say that. And Seattle Seahawks fans hardly will resent me for preferring Kansas City Chiefs over the San Francisco 49ers. (laughs) And we say that with all due respect to Mr. Sherman, who seems to be flourishing there. Oh, yeah, he's doing all right. (laughs) So life is good, and you're going to have weather. Yes, indeed. Feel good about that, Seattle. It's murky. It's raining all the time. You might get some snow mixed in. There's so many places that are in drought Mm -hmm. conditions, you know, and I will end this aside with this comment. The Oakland Raiders next season will be the Las Vegas Raiders. And I just have to slap my forehead because not only are they a vagabond team, but they're going to Las Vegas. They're building this $1 billion plus stadium and people are moving in. In droves, they're going to Las Vegas, and they don't have any water. No water. No right. water. Lake Mead is drying up. It's, you can see rings around it as it sinks further and further down. And except within very narrow restrictions, it's against the law to water your lawn, and you have your scoff laws anyway. In Las Vegas Valley, they are very strict about watering your lawn. You can turn people in for that sort of thing. Where are you going to get your water? I don't know. And the tourists keep flocking because Las Vegas is Las Vegas. How do you how do you like propose that to like, let's say uh, I was across the street from you two and I'm like, hey, Gary and Suzanne are watering their life. Do I go over there and be like, excuse me, this is a citizen's arrest because you're I mean, how do you approach that? I mean, would they just would you just laugh at me or I mean, like, really? It's all of the above. Huh, okay. Yeah, and you, you could go to some authority down there who <laughs> would, you know, come by in a, a little uh, county car oh, and yeah, you know, right. issue a citation probably. I actually have heard stories, and this is going back some years, but it, I'm sure nothing has changed. It might be exacerbated by now. People will fight over 
a dime dropped on a sidewalk and it becomes right? World War III. I have been a party, <laughs> though the non-warring party, in many scrapes in Las Vegas that erupt quite suddenly. It's hmm. spontaneous anger. There was a person in a, a lady in a supermarket who wouldn't get out of the way when somebody was trying to buy a half gallon of milk. And he asked her politely to get out of the way. And she said to him, uh, I'll get out of your way when I feel like getting out of your way. I was here first. You talk like someone who voted for Obama. Oh, boy. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you see down there and worse. So Las Vegas is a good place to visit. Sure. What happens in Las Vegas stays in right, Las Vegas. Right. And other than that, they can have the Raiders, and I hope they find a source of water because they need it. Yay rain, yay Seattle and the Emerald City. So, so here we are. Instead of a, you kids stop watering your lawn, it's get off your lawn. Or is it the other way around? I mean, either way you look at it, it seems pretty ridiculous. <laughs> and people do get turned in. There sure. are scoff laws yeah. and they don't huh. care. So they get a visit from the water authority and maybe they get a ticket. And I don't know what happens after that. Do they pay it? Do they tear it up? Do they learn their lesson? Who knows? Like it's the Las meter Vegas, maid. Maybe. Like the meter maid. <laughs> exactly. So here we are getting ready to do an hour or what's left of an hour of wonderful, high grade metaphysical Q&A with someone who understands the meaning of water and ecology and environmental sensitivity. He is a gentleman who is north of the border living in lovely Victoria, B.C. What a place to go to retire or just enjoy life. I have visited myself, stayed three days, and it felt like a wonderful trip to the Garden of Eden. Why don't you give our guest the mad props today, and let's talk to him. Rock and roll. Garnet Schulhauser. Yes, he is back. Garnet is a retired lawyer who lives near Victoria on Vancouver Island, Canada, with his wife, Kathy, and little dog, Abby. He grew up on a small farm in Saskatchewan and moved to Calgary, Canada after law school, where he practiced corporate law for more than 30 years with two blue-chip law firms. He now does live in British Columbia, Canada, and that's the least you can say about this gentleman as we bring him on with us. Garnet, your biography would fill a book unto itself. That's just the bare bones, my friend. Thank you very much, Gary. You, you're, you're giving me too much credit where, where it's not due. Typical, these Canadians, you know, if I said anything more to praise him, he'd be apologizing. <laughs> I don't, that's really kind of an old saw, but I find Canadians to be very articulate, very intelligent, very practical, and polite almost to a fault. Of course, there are exceptions, but typically the Canadian character is quite agreeable to me, Garnet, and you certainly would number among them. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think I've heard that before about Canadians, and I'm not uh, embarrassed about it. I think uh, being overly polite is better than being rude. So I'll, I'll take the politeness. Well, you have those cooler temperatures north of the border, and I think it keeps the people a little bit cooler. We got our hotter temperatures down here, and we've got some pretty hot heads. So with global warming, who knows? Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, it's not. Uh, I mean, today it's raining cats and dogs just like in, in Seattle, uh, but uh, I'm sure you have sunshine where you are. Uh, no, actually we have a cloudy day and we are anticipating rain uh, tonight and tomorrow, 70% chance tonight and tomorrow. It's going to make things awfully wet for the big game on Sunday <laughs> and uh, hopefully by then it will stop raining, but but we'll see. We're, we're due for a few raindrops here too. 
Isn't that amazing? And it's, I'd like to get into a bit of, because you and I tend to be spontaneous, and, and Suzanne has her own questions coming in from her own angle, and it's fun when we do this metaphysical Q&A business. That's our theme whenever you're on the show anymore, Garnet, and it's a good thing because everything is fair game. Benny might be able to give us the definitive word on this. Uh, he keeps his eye on sports more closely than myself. But what I have heard, Garnet, is that the Super Bowl ads now, and we're talking about a 30-second ad, will now cost the advertiser for this Super Bowl over $5 million for one 30-second spot. Somebody's oh, making amazing. some money. And, and I look at that. You guys have we we, we decided we decided to bow out of that <laughs> little too rich for our here? okay that is i remember when it was a million dollars for a 30 second spot and people were flabbergasted over five million now oh my god that's just amazing it puts me in mind garnet of a, an incident it was cute and it was fun because i got to know this lady bartender quite briefly after suzanne and i paid a visit. We were on our way through Ontario and we stopped in the city of London, Ontario. Yes, everyone, there is a London in Canada, London, Ontario. And we had a wonderful lunch, one of the best Reuben sandwiches I ever had, Garnet. It was at a restaurant called the Church Key in London, Ontario, across the street from their theatrical venue where they have concerts. Paul McCartney played there, for example, and they would, they'll put on first class off-Broadway plays, etc. So I finished up my sandwich and I was leaving and paying up when the lady bartender, who appeared to be eh, maybe your early 30s, very polite and pleasant individual. So I said to her, it's so interesting to me to be here in Ontario because to me, going to Canada, because I lived for a couple of decades in Seattle, meant going to British Columbia. In my mind, I have to laugh because Canada is known for its snow and ice, the cold temperatures for nearly half the year. And to me, going to British Columbia was going to Canada. And she said, I've never been. And I said, well, until today, I've never been in Ontario. And so I would just recommend Canadian. Here I am, an American, giving a tourist advice to a, a Canadian about going to Canada. I said, you ought to visit the province of British Columbia because I grew up in Southern California. And that's kind of like Canada's California to me. I can see an analogy there. And she said, yes, I'd like to see it sometime, but I don't think I could ever live there. And then she put her fingers together and scratched them, her, her first, uh, her index finger, middle finger, and her thumb, which is universally known as indicating something that is costly. And she said, if you're going to go out there, you better bring a lot of money. You live in Victoria. You see British Columbia. From your own perspective as a prosperous Canadian, what is it about the haves and the have-nots anywhere in the world, but particularly in Canada, where you have so much natural beauty that's free to all eyes, just bathe in all that beauty. And yet in Canada, as in America, it seems increasingly like we are a world of the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, 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 certainly uh, we have our homeless people here in, in, in Victoria. Um, luckily for them, they don't have to suffer, you know, minus 20 degree temperatures. Um, so it's a lot easier for them. But, but there's homeless people throughout Canada. Yes, there have and there have not. Um, and uh, so in that way, we're not really much different from, uh, from America or even from places in Europe. I just got back from a trip in, in, to Europe in September, and they have their homeless people just like everywhere else. 
and and it's just a, it's a problem. I mean, the, the, that have have too much, and the poor people have too little, and and it's just a universal problem. And, and I don't know. Well, yeah, we can't solve it by, uh, you know, Andrew Yang says we can give everyone a thousand dollars a month. I don't know if that'll solve it or not, but 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 certainly he's thinking in the right direction. Thinking in the right direction, and I'm so curious about how Canada does so well. Garnet, when I talk to people in America, they talk about how beautiful Canada is and how nice the Canadians are. They really enjoy going there for a visit, but they openly say, I don't know how anyone could live there because, you know, they have free medicine. How can you afford to give away free medicine, free doctor's visits, free hospital stays? not realizing that there's nothing free in this world. You have to factor the cost management in, and it's a matter of taxation. And they say, oh, and the taxes, the taxes are, oh my God, you would just die with the taxes. I don't know how anybody can afford to live there. And when they say that sort of thing, Garnet, I point out to them, do you realize that Canada is a G7 country? They are a major economy, a major driver of economic prosperity, so that even though their structure in some ways is fundamentally different from our own, they are primarily an entrepreneurial society. They are a capitalist society. They're not a socialist country. They are a mixed economy, and so are we. And some of these people are a bit taken aback by that. Yeah, yeah, quite clearly we are a capitalist society, although we have some socialistic aspects. I mean, people will cite the, uh, the, the universal health care as being a, a, a socialist item. Uh, and certainly in, in your politics down there, I mean, the people who propose uh, universal health care, like some of the Democratic candidates are now, a lot of people will say, oh, you're a bunch of socialists, you're dangerous, we don't want to have anything to do with you. There's nothing wrong with universal health care. In fact, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's just we take it for granted. It started in... Uh, in, a, in my home province of Saskatchewan in, in like the early 60s, gradually it spread throughout. Uh, it's been in our country for a long time. If you tried to take that away, there would be an open revolt because people here are used to that uh, and they don't want to change it. And they know, of course, that they pay for it in taxes, but that's just the price you have to pay. And, and no one's left behind. So it doesn't matter if you're a, a homeless person or, or you're a, a billionaire, you, you, you get the free health care. Uh, and, and everyone's equal in that, that respect. And it's the same all the way across all the provinces. So the, the, the Canada Health Act basically says that if you live in British Columbia and you go to Ontario for a visit and you get sick, you get covered there even though you're not in British Columbia. So it's, uh, it's reciprocal, works, works wonders, and, um, boy, like I said, it, it, people would get fighting mad if you said we need to take it away. And I think that uh, at some point uh, America will come to the same position. And certainly if you elect uh, some of the Democratic nominees as president, you're going to move closer and closer. But there's still a lot of resistance, I think, because people uh, in your country particularly uh, think that socialism or anything that sort of gets close to that is a bad word, a dirty thing. But but it's really not. You know, Garnet, I think that that, uh, that moniker of socialism is is just trying to is another fear factor trying to scare people away from uh, becoming a communist country, and it's so crazy because all of your very successful, highly industrialized countries have universal health care, and so this is just uh, America being backwards once again being backwards and not heading up the pack 
and and saying, you know, if you if you vote for this, then you're you're voting for socialism. And you know what that means? That means communism. I mean, I, I think that it's it's all just still part of the the divisiveness of how can you label things in a way that will really turn people off. One of the things that you said really caught my attention, and that was that back in the 60s, the healthcare started in Saskatchewan. Interesting to me that it didn't start where the capital is or you know, move from east to west or west to east. Why would why would the healthcare have started right in the center of the country? Well, I think because it was one of the of, of the initial uh, what we call socialist governments in in Canada. It was provincial government, and the premier Tommy Douglas um, he brought it in, and and there was a lot of controversy and a lot of opposition to it. People said it won't work; it's going to cost too much. He brought it in anyway. And guess what? It worked fine, and then. Gradually, all the other provinces adopted the same thing, and then it became a national thing because it worked so well, and it just made made eminent sense. And and it's uh, we're not the only ones that you mentioned, Suzanne. I mean, the UK and, and the, uh, a lot of other uh, industrial countries in the world have universal health care, and they're not communist, and, and there's nothing really bad about their societies. Uh, the universal health care is one of the one of the great uh, things about uh, what they've done, and. Uh, I, I, as I say, someday Americans will, will finally realize that, that having universal health care does not lead you to communism. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, they're totally different things. And I hope that happens sooner rather than later because the cost of uh, medical care is just so astronomically high that, um, you know, we do need some solutions to our problems, and, and that is one. And there's this uh, mythology, which is really getting broken up, Garnet, and the mythology of how we're, we're the first, we're the leaders, we're, you know, out in front. Well, we're way, way, way behind when it comes to, uh, you know, global warming. We're, we're getting further and further behind in education. We're getting further behind in things like live births per thousand I mean, there are ways in which uh, the U.S. is really slipping, and and yet, you know, you'll have people rallying around the flag saying we're number one, we're number one, when we're really not. And and so I think, uh, you know, we need to open our eyes to how we can make things better and not be riding on the the U.S. that uh, went into to help World War II. That was a long time ago now. And there's been a lot that has happened since then to uh, put us in the wrong track instead of the right track about making people's lives better. So, you know, I'm, I'm for, you know, revisiting some of these things and healthcare and global warming are certainly pretty close to the top of the list. Well, you know, Suzanne, you're right. And what, and what your country needs is more people who think like you. And you do have an election coming up in November. And that's the time that people can, can, can vote where they stand and, and, and tell the country what they want to have happen. And so you have to look forward to that, and hopefully things will change. And, you know, eventually they all will change. America has been really slow in terms of the health care um, and, and in, t- in terms of climate change as well. I mean, one of the first things that President Trump did when he took office was pull out of the Paris Accord. Well, Paris Accord is probably not the, certainly not the perfect uh, uh, climate solution in the world, but it's a start, and I think that moving backwards does not help any, and I think that people really have to become aware in terms of climate change of, of, of what's happening. And, uh, you, you know, I've had, uh, during some of my astral travels, I've had 
conversation with Gaia, the consciousness of Mother Earth, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't be surprised at what she would say. She basically says, look at you guys, you have to change your ways. You're changing, uh, the climate is changing, it's going to get worse for you, and, and you're the main cause of the problem, and if you don't change your ways, it could end very badly. And, and you know, the, the, the number of uh, natural disasters have been increasing in number and intensity. You know, look at the bushfires in Australia this year. Uh, that's just that's just an example, and, and these things are going to continue. Uh, you know, they and the the ice cap in the Arctic is slowly melting, and same with the Antarctic. And uh, there's going to be a lot of problems unless we get our act together and address it. But the first thing we have to do is recognize that there is a problem, and then find a way to to step through the problem and, and work through it and try to change things so that we can get back to a a, a balanced ecosystem in our our dear old Mother Earth, you know, and, 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 and we're the main problem. The, you know, the, the, the other creatures who share our planet, they don't pollute, they don't cause any problems. Uh, it, it's the humans. And as, as, as Gaia has said, humans are like an invasive uh, weed that's, that's invading the garden and snuffing out all the other life. And we're doing that. We're, we're damaging our planet, which is to our detriment. We're also abusing the other creatures who have to live with our abuses. And so we really have to get our act together, and that's, that's a major thing. And the first step is to recognize that it is a problem. Uh, you, you know, Garnet, um, on an optimistic note, I will say that I think we're smart enough to fix it. I think there are people of great intelligence who can who can figure out the plans for solving all of our problems. And I and from my point of view, and it's only my point of view. Um, it seems as though the counterbalance to that, to solving these problems, really has to do with the invested interests of greedy people. If if they can sell more, you know, guns or bullets or or coal or oil or whatever it is that is, you know, ultimately harming us, they are they are you know, gathering their strength in opposition to things being better. And so I think that that greed of, you know, I want more and I don't care who suffers is really quite at the heart of all of this. And um, and I, I can remember years and years ago, I was reading uh, an article about a plant that had burnt down and it was somewhere in the Midwest and the, the gentleman who owned the plant continued paying his employees while the plant was rebuilt. He, he felt an obligation to do that or a desire to do that so that when the plant was rebuilt, all those people would be able to step right back into their jobs. Did it cost him something? Yes, it cost him a lot of profit to keep paying his employees. Did he have the most loyal employees on the planet? Absolutely. And they all returned to work when the plant got rebuilt. So I think there are these, these pockets of, of people who are operating compassionately and intelligently, but we don't hear enough about that. And instead, you know, we hear about all the, all the greed and misery and, and that seems to, to proliferate and I think keep these problems in their places and, and, the, and the people who can actually solve the problems are, are not out in front. 
Well, you know, the, the, the fellow who, that you mentioned who, who kept his employees while the plant was being rebuilt, that's amazing, amazing story. You're right, you, you don't hear about those stories very often, but those kinds of people are what we need more of in this world. We need more of those people. And, and your first point about greed as being one of our biggest problems is totally right on. I mean, if you took away, if, if someone could wave a magic wand and, and take away the emotion of greed from everyone on, on our planet, we have a much happier place. It would be you know, no wars or conflicts, uh, you know, no crime. It would be it would be an amazing place. And and uh, and there are, I mean, there are civilizations in the in our universe where where that has has been eradicated, where where there is no greed or negative emotion, and it's a very happy place. How do we get there? I have no idea because uh, greed has been with us since the early days, and uh, I don't see any magic solution to getting rid of it unless we just sort of uh, get everyone to sort of become more spiritually enlightened and realize that we're all in this together and that the, the, the people that you're that you're taking money from through your greed they're really all part of we're all part of one we're all part of the, the whole thing and, and and once we realize that maybe we'll change but boy it's a long long road to go before I can see it but I think we all have to do what, what, what we can to try to get there one step at a time let's go ahead and take our one break of the hour we're talking with a very spiritual man and if you're chuckling and saying where's the spirituality in all of this we're going to tack at the spiritual side of politics and economics and come up with something metaphysical because this is an hour of metaphysical q a and we're going to toss in an evaluation brief and amateurish though it may be of organized religion I have a thing or two to say about that, and I would love to get a response from Garnet Schulhauser, our honored guest of the hour, when we come back. Give us a couple of minutes. We're Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. 
Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmer is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. That's David Bowie's Let's Dance. And we chose that particular music for our guest, Garnet Schollhauser, who has written several books with the words dance in them. And we want to let our listeners know how they can connect with you online, Garnet, where they can get your books, what your books are, and anything else that you would like to share. Sure. Well, I've written four books, and they all have dance in some form in them. The first one was Dancing on a Stamp. The second one was Dancing Forever with Spirit. The third one was Dance of Heavenly Bliss. And the fourth one, Dancing Eternal Rapture. Um, and uh, the best place to, to, to you can find my books in all the popular online stores best place to get information about them is my website, which is garnetschulhauser.com. That's hard to remember, but if you Google Dancing on a Stamp, uh, you will get to my website, and there's buy links there that where you can get to Amazon and Barnes & Noble and so on to buy them. Um, and uh, there's also lots of information about the books on my website, and if anyone has any specific questions, I'm delighted to get emails from your from your listeners, uh, and my, my email address is contact at garnetschulhauser.com. Thank you. That's wonderful, Garnet. Uh, when it comes to dance, dancing, how did that become the predicate for your published history? What does that mean to you metaphysically, from speaking from your own soul? What is it you're trying to communicate using that dancing metaphor? Well, basically, what I'm trying to say is that life is really a dance, uh, and, and, and life can be a, a dance of joy or, or a drudgery. It's up to you as to how you, how you react. But it's important to keep on dancing because that's really what, what life's all about on planet Earth. And if you could dance your way through joyful things and, and keep on dancing when tragedies happen, then you've got the right attitude and, and you'll have a fulfilling journey. Now, how, how that, the first book title came about was that, and, and I'm sure, uh, I mean, I've spoken about this before, but I have communications with my spirit guide, Albert. And so uh, towards the end of, uh, of our conversation, before I wrote my first manuscript, I was looking for a title. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I was complaining about something was going on, with my, something wrong in my life. And he said, he said, let me tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what your problem is. He said, imagine that the planet Earth is like a, he uses the me metaphor of a big, beautiful ballroom. And there's, the hardwood floors are gleaming. There's a, a band up there playing wonderful dance music. Everyone around you is up and swirling around the whole dance floor. And he said, your problem is you spent too much of a time on one spot, like you're wearing leg shackles. And he said, what you need to do is quit 
take the shackles off, start moving around the whole ballroom, and quit dancing on a stamp. And I thought that really hit home, and I thought, that's a good title for my book. And so that's where the first book title came from, was that he accused me of, of, of being, my, my life was too narrow, I was staying in one spot, I needed to get out and explore the whole, the whole area, the whole planet, the whole universe. And, and so that's, that's where that title came from. And so then, to me, it was just natural to have a, the word dance or dancing as some form in all my other book titles. And that's one of the things that I, that I tell people when I sign off of my emails, is I say, whatever you do, remember to keep on dancing. And, and I think that's, so that's just sort of my trademark thing. I love that. And that takes me to the juncture where I say, yes, this is metaphysical Q&A, believe it or not. And here is where we get more spiritual. And I would also add more religious. Interesting. I talk to any number of people, Garnet, who say, I consider myself spiritual. I take the metaphysical view of life, but I have no use anymore for organized religion. So you speak of dancing on a stamp. The stamp for a lot of people is the narrow parameters of organized religion from which they feel they need to extricate themselves in order to live more fully and to experience life metaphysically and more richly. No, no you're absolutely right. And, and, I, and I totally understand uh, th that thinking because I was raised in a very strict Roman Catholic family. And I know exactly what the church pounded into my head, you know, as a, as a youngster. And, and it took quite a while before I could sort of unwind myself from that, uh, because I began to question some of the things they said, a lot of which did not make any sense. And they were just way too restrictive. I mean, things like, uh, you know, things like the concept of, uh, of hell. That's just something that the, the church invented. Or a lot of uh, religions have the same thing. And it, it's just a way to control people. It's like, okay, you have to follow uh, the rules of God. The rules of God are what we say they are, even though they're not, they're man-made. And if you don't, uh, if you don't follow those, if you break those and don't make amends, you're going to go to this awful place uh, where you're going to burn in fires forever. I mean, that's that's a hell of a. I mean, for for people, that's a very scary thought, and and so that's what keeps people under control. But the reality is, is that that hell doesn't exist, uh, never has, never will, and um, and and that's one of the problems I have with religion is they have they have all these sort of strict rules. And, and th what they really want to do is just control the masses, and, 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 and that's their goal. Um, you know, if, if you happen to have some, uh, cause people to do good things to one another, that's just sort of the side effect. The main thing is the religious holy men, and I say men because for the most part they're men, not women, um, they are the ones who want to control. And if you can get people to come into the church every Sunday, fill the pews, and then empty your pockets into the collection uh, bin, um, then they have money, money to do things to, to carry on with with, with, with what they want to do, uh, build new churches and so on. And so that it, it just to me, it's, it's a bit of a racket. It's like, you know, we, we want you to come in here, we want you to, to preach to you, we want to empty your pockets, and and uh, and that's how we sustain our business. So you know, the Catholic Church is just like a, a, a corporation. They they have their their goals. They want to they, they want to increase the membership. They want to increase the donations. Uh, and they want to they, they want to sort of run their congregation the way they want to run it. And so I have a lot of problems with organized religion, Gary. Uh, so I, uh, so uh, the people who, who think like me, um, you know, there's, there's lots of us, and more and more people are becoming that way because then they realize that the, the, the true path to to uh, to uh, uh, the, to happiness and fulfillment on your journey on this planet 
is not through organized religion, but being spiritual and recognizing where we are, who we are, why we're here, and what happens to us after. And, and, and if you sort of get that knowledge, then you can put the, the religion, religious teachings behind you, um, which are very, uh, very draconian in some ways, and sort of open up your heart to other people in a spiritual way. That's a very good assay of organized religion. And you put me in mind of a story. When I used to manage apartments way back when, I had a, uh, was, he never did actually move in, but he was fun to talk to the day he came by for a tour. I hope he's happy now, but he was very sour on organized religion. And I was just opining as we sat there in the rental office. And I said to this gentleman who was from the former Soviet Union, so he had his own take on religion there. And I said, one thing I've never understood is why there would be so much emphasis on not practicing birth control. I grew up Catholic. I'm a baptized Roman Catholic. And I never understood because I have no children, nor have I ever had any desire to have children. That's just not the way I'm built to be a dad throwing the football in the backyard with Johnny. Not for me. And I said, and yet, if you practice birth control, you are behaving unethically, not to mention sinfully, according to the strictures of the Roman Catholic Church. Why would they make such a big deal? And what is it to them whether or not I practice birth control. And this gentleman said to me, need more customers. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just laughed. I said, man, you just explained it all. <laughs> and, 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 and that's very customers. true because because, uh, because they, they do want they do want more customers because what they want is for good Catholic couples to have as many babies as they can and have them baptized right away. So now they're members of the church, and so that expands their whole their, their whole congregation by all these extra babies. But the other underlying problem that the Catholic Church has is they have this this big hang up about sex, and and, and so for the most part they, they they think that sex is uh, dirty, demeaning, and, uh, and and not something very holy. Uh, and, and and so what they want people to do is have sex only when they for the purpose of bearing children and not for the pleasure of it. You know. And, and I should tell you a funny story that, that, uh, about a friend of mine in, uh, in, uh, in, in law school, actually, it was. It's a very true story. I'm not going to name him, obviously. But uh, he, was, uh, he wasn't a Catholic, but he was dating and very serious, in fact, engaged to a Catholic girl. And so her, her family basically said, you can't get married to our daughter unless you convert to Catholicism. So he said, okay, well, I'll go along with it. So back in those days, you had to sort of take... You were non-Catholic. You had to take instructions from a priest about what it means to be a Catholic, and so and and, and what the do's and don'ts of being a Catholic. And so, one of the things that stuck out in his mind was the priest said, "Not only is uh, is, is extramarital sex fornication, not only is that a grave sin, but thinking about sex is a sin." Now imagine that thinking about sex. He didn't quite imagine that uh, how that worked. Anyway, so uh, he, so he's ready to convert to Catholicism, and he and he goes to the church. Uh, with this beautiful young lady, his fiance, uh, she goes along for moral support. So he goes, they're sitting in the pew, and he goes into the confessional to uh, confess his sin. Um, and uh, so he, he 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 does the thing with the priest, uh, and then he comes out. And, and one of the things he confessed was that he, you know, he had uh, sexual thoughts about having sex with his with his fiance. So he gets forgiven for those sins. He comes back out, sits in the pew beside his his fiance. She's wearing a very short skirt. He looks at his fiance, 
and Bengal, he says, I got to go back to concession. It really seems incredibly silly like, you, 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 that, uh, to think about sex as a sin. When you're thinking about it, you're not actually doing anything. And uh, so that's just one of the examples that the church has really big hang-ups about sex. And, and, and I know as a youngster, uh, as a teenager growing up, uh, there was this thing called the, the youth club, which the priest had put on for all the, the teenagers, and we'd go there and have uh, do various activities. And we got constantly lectured about about the the, 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 the badness of sex, but sex you can't, you know, for them, it, it, if you did anything more than hold hands, it was a sin, you should never do that, you have to wait until you're married, you know, and, and that was that's always stuck with me. And, and the church still has hang-ups about that. You know, and I wondered, I, I thought afterwards, I thought, you know, when the priest was, was telling my friend that about you can't have thoughts about sex, I thought, you should have asked him, now what if I'm married and I'm driving home from work and I'm thinking about going home and having sex with my wife? Is that a sin? <laughs> that would have been a good question. I'm sure the priest would have no idea what to, how to answer that. But but they've, the Catholic Church has had sexual hang-ups forever, and they still do. I mean, they, 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 they can't seem to get out of the... Out of the 15th century or wherever it is that their heads are, and, and the big problem, it lies with the, the people who run the church, the Pope and the Cardinals and the bishops. They don't want to change anything, you know, and, and, and there, was a, there was a recent slap in the paper about, uh, about how Pope Francis was thinking about maybe changing the rules of celibacy for priests, and lo and behold, uh, Pope Benedict, who's no longer the Pope, but he's still alive, he comes out and, and, and disagrees with that. I mean, he, for him, it's like, no, you can't change that. We have to have celibate priests because sex is, is, is unholy, it's demeaning, and we can't have our priests engage in that. Silly attitude, because, I mean, as, as Albert has told me, sex is a very natural thing. I mean, if, if, if the source did not want us to have sex, we would be created with the sex drive and sex organs. I mean, so there's nothing wrong with sex, uh, and, uh, and for the Church to try to downplay it and make it demeaning and, and try to restrict it is just silly. And someday they're going to have to change that. I mean, you know, you talk about birth control, Gary. I read uh, a couple of years ago, I read that someone had done a survey of Roman Catholics in the U.S., and I think the number was something like 96% of them disregarded the, 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 the Vatican's prohibition on artificial birth control. They just went ahead and did it anyway, because they just thought, that's a silly rule, and I'm not going to follow it. And I think there's a, there's a lot of people who, who say they're practicing Catholic who kind of pick and choose what they want. Like, I'll, I'll accept this one and I'll reject that one. But that's just a, a function of our society, and, uh, you know, the Church has to change. I mean, not that I care anymore, because I don't really care what they do, but they have lots of more and more people who are stopping going to Church, especially young people, and uh, if they don't change, they're pretty, pretty soon going to be uh, disappearing into, into irrelevance. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, I've never heard a better rant and I've never managed one myself as good as that one, Garnet. I can go any number of directions. I feel like channeling my inner Dr. Phil when I hear a former pope saying, no, we have to keep celibacy. That's, that's our tradition, and that's important to the priesthood that we be teaching and practicing celibacy in the priesthood. My inner Dr. Phil goes, how's, how's that, that working, working for you? <laughs> And yeah, it's, very true. you know, the, the, other, the other things that, are, that they're really uh, uh, dinosaurs about is things like uh, uh, not having women priests. I mean, a lot of the other major religions are, uh, are gaining 
women priests and ministers. Catholic Church is not even on the radar screen, which is also very silly. You know, they complain that they don't have enough priests. There's not enough priests to go around. I mean, the, the, the small town that I grew up in, uh, uh, when I was in, in high school, they always had a priest all the way through. Now they don't. There's like this, now there's like one priest for like uh, four or five towns. They can't get enough. Well, if, if you open the door to women priests, guess what? You might be able to fill your churches with, with, ordained, uh, with ordained priests, but they just don't see it that way. No, and they can give you some very sophisticated, not to say convoluted, explanations for why it's fine for there to be deacons who can participate in the sacramental life of the community without actually attaining the priesthood and why this is consistent with the original teachings of Jesus and Peter and the other apostles. And I just say fooey, and I, I give up on that particular argument and think whatever I will instead. It's this idea of authoritarian religion. Another one, instead of being free to, I'll use the word enjoy, but certainly to relate meaningfully to Jesus of Nazareth in the brotherhood, the universal brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity that he preached with as much compassion as we can muster in our fallible human state. Instead, he has to be the substitutionary sin bearer. If I don't believe, you know, the millions and millions of people in my country and around the world will insist that if I do not accept the scriptural injunction to accept the gift of God, which is Jesus on the cross, forgiving my sins and the sins of all humans for all time, then I've missed the mark in a tragic way, because then when I die, not having accepted Jesus as my personal savior, unfortunately, thanks for playing our game. Here's an asbestos suit. You're going to the flames of hell forever. And I think it really takes a primitive mentality to restrict your own growth and your appreciation of life to subscribe to a set of theological principles that is intent on not only winning you as an inherent, but keeping you in your place. Absolutely right, Gary. And, and, and that's, that's, as I mentioned before, that's exactly the, the prime directive of organized religions, Catholic Church or otherwise, is to keep people in their place, keep them controlled, keep them uh, donating their money to the coffers of the Church, and that's, and, and that's just what they want. And, 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 uh, and they have a number of tools to do that, uh, but one of the big factors, as I mentioned before, is fear. You know, I mean, it, it's pretty pretty daunting thought. I mean, if you've ever if you've ever put your finger too close to a burning candle or whatever, you know it hurts like hell. So imagine thinking you're going to this place where your whole body's engulfed in flames, not just for a while, but forever. And so it's, it's, it's really uh, it's really a daunting thought, and, and that's how they've been able to control people. But more and more people are starting to say, nah, I don't believe that. That's just a bunch of hooey, and, uh, you know, I'm going to get on and, and with my life and, and, and try to find the spiritual path to fulfillment rather than try to go through the, the religious path, which has a lot of pitfalls. And, you know, the thing about being spiritual and not religious, Garnet, is that there's a couple of things. There's a tremendous amount of freedom in approaching that the way that you want to approach it, but because it is so individualistic that once you start getting people together to uh, share, to support, to be together then you're talking about yet another organized religion. And, and so 
you you don't necessarily want to be spiritual by yourself in a vacuum somewhere because i think for a lot of people part of being spiritual is uh sharing is uh being in service being in support to other people in you know all of humanity and and so i i see this problem with being spiritual in that it looks like you're an independent contractor, but it looks like it can be very lonely too. You know, you want to have other people around you. And, I, and I've said to Gary before, you can make friends when you go to work outside the home and be with other people. You can make friends when you go to a church with other people and what you have in common in your business is your business world and what you have in common in church is your church world and if you're still in school you make friends at school you make you find like-minded people so i think there's a social component that's important when you're trying to grow your own soul that you need to be uh interacting with other people but how do you do that without being organized? It's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, it certainly is. And it, it varies with the person as to how much other contact you need to have with people who are spiritual or like-minded. I, I know certainly religious people, that's one of the big components, as you mentioned, that, that uh, of their lives is that, you know, when you go to church, you're with other people of like mind and that, that there's a social aspect to it. You know, you're, you're there with other people in the church, you're, you do church socials and that kind of thing. When I was growing up, pretty much everyone in my community was Roman Catholic, so that was that was uh, everyone was, and, and and that was sort of a big part of the of the social community. And so, I don't think that happens as much today. But I think that uh, you know some spiritual people do want to get together, and there are there are what you call spiritual churches, and I think they're very. I don't belong to one, but I think that there are some that that are sort of very very loose organizations where people just sort of get together and, 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 and have a spiritual commune together without having a bunch of rules and, and, uh, and things that, uh, sins and so on that you can break. I mean, spiritual people know that there's no such thing as sin. That's a religious concept. And, and so, you know, if, if, if spiritual people want to get together to, to, to share their, their common interests, I think that's fine. And, and, but for others, not. I mean, I, I personally don't need to be in a gathering in order to, to feel... Or attempt to feel oneness with the universe. I mean, I could do that myself, but others are different. And I think that uh, that the big the big danger, though, of course, if you start organizing, is if you have somebody who, or some group at the head who's trying to organize it and, and basically form another religion. And, and I don't think that's a good thing. But I think people have to be on guard for that. I think that we do have to be on guard for that. As someone who votes Democratic, I see myself as a pragmatic progressive. I'm not on the far left. I'm sort of center left in my politics. Nevertheless, I am concerned about this tendency going back more than a decade now, closer to two decades, whereby the Republican Party in the United States of America has succeeded in convincing many millions of people that Jesus Christ is actually the big Republican in the sky, that their politics and the teachings of Jesus are consonant with each other. And I like to say, not hardly, show me how that's true. And for them, it simply is self-evident. 
that if you are someone who is not dependent on the government, despite your poverty, and if you are against abortion, if you are in, in favor of a strong military and a militant foreign policy that makes us in America look more and more like an empire, as far as I'm concerned, you are actually a good practicing Christian. And I freely confess, brothers and sisters, I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that either. And uh, <clears throat> it's really interesting because he says, some people are saying that Jesus is a Republican in the sky. I've heard a lot of people say Jesus was a socialist or a communist. So it depends on your perspective. But, but, but I think that you know, Jesus obviously was neither. Jesus came here to try to give humanity a kick in the pants to get us sort of moving up the spiritual ladder, um, and that's what he tried to do. What happened after that was sort of beyond his control, and of course what happened was the Christian church and, and how that has developed. But what Jesus what didn't, didn't preach about having uh, all the rules that the Catholic Church has, I mean, they, they were just developed by men following him. Jesus had a, had, a, had a very basic message that you should love everyone else and, and, and have compassion and forgiveness for them. That's a very, a very great message that, 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 that he was promoting, um, and, and, and I don't think that makes him a, a Republican, or I don't think it makes him a, a socialist or a communist. He was just being a, a spiritual person who's trying to tell us how we can better our society by uh, showing love, compassion, and forgiveness. And I think you can't detract from that, although people try to, try to disguise other things uh, in the name of Jesus and say, well, this is what Jesus wanted to do, or this is what he was promoting, I think they missed the core message, and that's the big problem with a lot of religions or even some political people who are trying to equate their particular politics to the teachings of Jesus, which I just think is wrong. I think it's wrong as well. If Jesus were alive today, first of all, he wouldn't be understood at all. Albert Schweitzer said that much. He was asked in one of the last interviews he gave back in 1960 or so there and asked, what would what would it be like in the world of Jesus Christ were alive today? And he said, oh, Jesus wouldn't be understood at all there. And I certainly don't think that Jesus would be happy to be co-opted by this or that political party. He's the one who said, or is reported to have said, is quoted as saying, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, render unto God the things that are God's. And I think that's a pretty good way of creating that dividing line because Jesus, if anything, wanted to stay out of the politics. We are so delighted to have you with us anytime, Garnet Schulhauser. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's do this again. Thank you for having me, and I'd be delighted to be on your show again. You are two of my favorite radio show hosts. Well, thank you. We appreciate that, and we will look forward to our next time together. Have a great weekend, Garnet. And you too. All right. Coming up next. Coming up next is the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, followed by American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. And today my guest will be Dina Marie. There's a popular name around Seattle and environs. Looking forward to talking to her. I hope this is the start of a great weekend for you, everyone. Have a good one. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.